Take your copy of the scriptures this morning. Please turn to the book of Jonah. The book of the prophet Jonah. We begin reading in verse 17 of chapter 1, but before I do so, let's join our hearts together once more and ask his blessing upon the preaching and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Our dear Lord, eternal Father, we come again before you, praising you, thanking you. You are the one who has in various times spoken and in various manners to your people in the past, but in these last days, you tell us you have done so in your Son, the incarnate Word. We pray that you will open now the mouth of your servant to proclaim that Word in the power of the Spirit. We pray that the same Spirit would open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your holy gospel and write it on the on the hearts on their hearts your holy law even as you have promised to do so all of this gracious father we pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ amen Jonah chapter 1 starting at verse 17 I'll read to the end of Jonah chapter 2 please give your full attention this is the word of our god <clears throat> And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over, closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down, to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out of his mouth upon the dry land. So far the reading of God's word. May he indeed add his blessing to it. A number of years ago, and I'm sure many of you have heard this saying, but a number of years ago it was quite popular you heard it a lot. Many people repeated it. We saw it on bumper stickers and t-shirts. And that was the saying, God loves you as a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, we'll speak more about that saying a little later. But one thing I wanted to begin with is that it is certain that God has a wonderful plan. Indeed, he has the most wonderful plan. And we should never lose sight of that big picture 
that overarching plan of God when we look at Scripture, when we interpret our life through. There are certainly wonderful benefits and much to glean from individual episodes of history. And there are layers and levels of significance when we look at these different uh, individual stories. And that's what we would expect, right? God is a, a sovereign God. He is an awesome author. He is in control of all things. So it should not surprise us that there are layers and levels to his word and to all of the words in that word. Um, and we get a sense of this, something of this. We get a sense of the depth, right? No pun intended. We get a sense of the depth of God's word uh, here in Jonah as we begin to work through it. Uh, we're going to look at some of these layers and see that we should never look at a passage of Scripture apart from the big picture, apart from the big picture. I had a pastor once, I heard a pastor once rather, uh, talking about a student that called him. He had a presentation or was teaching something the next day, and he called it, uh, this professor, this pastor, one night, and he asked him, what's the Bible all about? And after beginning to unfold some of the themes to the student uh, from Scripture, the student said, is there just one verse that you can point me to that answers that question? And the pastor thought about it for a moment, and he said, well, if you want just one verse, it's the end of uh, Jonah 2, chapter 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. right? Salvation belongs to Yahweh. That's the big picture in a single verse. And so let's continue now to look at the Lord's salvation, salvation that belongs to this Lord as we continue to work through Jonah. Right? Chapter 2 has much to tell us about our personal experience with God, to be true. But it also tells us about the big picture, what God is doing in the big, big picture of history. Chapter 2, as you know, as we just heard, contains a psalm prayer, uh, that is a great source of comfort and a great source of hope for God's people. God shows us the source of that comfort and hope, ultimately where? In the person and work of Jesus Christ. In our passage this morning, there's a shift, there's a change uh, in Jonah. Right? His rebelliousness is gone. No longer the rebel prophet. Now he cries out to Yahweh the Lord. Uh, so let's first look at the, a review of this rebel a review of this rebel prophet um, by way of remembrance, right? Recall that, uh, that, that the chapter 1 was kind of an introductory event to the rest of the book. It is used to set the stage for the remainder of what follows, the, re the, the remaining chapters of Jonah. We saw last week there in chapter 1 that Jonah uh, is rebelling against the word of the Lord. Remember the will of the prophet against the word of the Lord. And Jonah is rebelling. And recall we saw Jonah him going farther and farther away from God's presence, fleeing from the presence of God. And we saw the pagans, recall, the mariners on the, on the ship, the pagans praising Yahweh and Jonah denying the Lord in the way that he acted. What a contrast. And that scene closed, you recall, with these men throwing Jonah overboard and leaving him in their minds for as good as dead. They knew he would perish. And they prayed to God, remember, they prayed to Yahweh. And they said, God, don't hold this man's blood against us. Don't hold us accountable for this. It's, it's, it's not our fault that he's dying. We only did what he told us to do. So have mercy upon us. And so it would seem that that's where the story ends. Again, at the first reading, you get to verse 16, and you see a resolution, right? Jonah rebels. He gets thrown into the sea, and he dies. 
Yet we see that the story continues. It continues underwater, so to speak. We continue this morning looking, picking up in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This great fish, it's kind of a funny thing when you first start studying Hebrew. I've mentioned to some of you in passing, the word for fish in Hebrew is dog. It's dog. And uh, that's the reaction everyone has when they learn that dog. Uh, But this great fish, this dog, Gadol, great fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And one of the issues addressed in chapter 2 is the question that we answer here that's all through chapter 2. Where does one go when he is utterly forsaken by God? What does one do when he feels that he's been forsaken by the true and the living God of the heavens and the earth? What does he do? Where does he go? And we see in the beginning here that Jonah, as he hits the water in all of that noise above, all of those things going on above, all of the wrangling and all the terror from the storm and all the shouting back and forth, all of the, uh, the, the praying to various gods, all of that has gone mysteriously silent. Right? We've all seen this in movies, right? When a character goes underwater and everything just goes silent. That's what's going on here. All you hear is this mysterious sound as the water goes over the ears. And Jonah is alone with his God for the first time since he's been seeking to flee from his presence. Right? He is at last alone with Yahweh who sent him, of whom he is his prophet. And we see that God was at work the whole time. God was at work the whole time. God appoints this great fish to go and to swallow the prophet. It's amazing that as you look at this story, all of the characters there, they do what? They obey God. They do the Lord's bidding as he commands. The pagans do. The Ninevites, we'll see, are going to obey God. The fish obeys God, yet God's prophet Jonah has been in rebellion from the first verse. But God does what? He sovereignly ordains this fish. And the text tells us that he's in the fish for three days and three nights. And as he is in this fish, we see that Jonah prays to the Lord, right, again, from the belly of this great fish. Jonah's prayer that we're about to read comes from inside of the belly of this fish. Again, look at verse 2. I called out to the Lord on account of my distress, and he answered me, and he answered me. And he sets up here, we see Jonah, from what we know from the Psalms, is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. And there's a specific formula, there's a regular formula that we see in Psalms, Psalms of thanksgiving, that we know about. It's something that would have been ingrained in the mind of the, he, of, of the, in the Hebrew mind, right? Because they knew the Psalms, they prayed the Psalms, they memorized the Psalms. The Psalms were there for them in times like this, right? This is the kind of thing that we can hear uh, in Psalm, we can hear David, King David say this in Psalm 118, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me, and he set me in a broad place. Or Psalm 20 that we heard in our Old Testament reading. In my distress, he heard me. And notice David uses this formula. When he has once, he was in great trouble, but he's now been delivered from that. And so he is telling the people, look, this was my need, and I called out, and God rescued me. 
this thanksgiving that follows. And so Jonah begins his prayer almost in the exact same way as the psalmist. And we'll see that almost every verse from Jonah's prayer here can be lifted right from the psalms. Jonah had prayed this way all of his life. And this is naturally, again, would naturally come to mind for him. He's familiar with the psalms, right? And this is another one, this, this is another reason why even for us, brothers and sisters, model prayers, patterns in liturgy, regularity, singing of psalms, praying psalms is so valuable. Right? When you have are, are, are at want of what to say and what to pray in your distress, those things are there for you, ingrained in your mind, God's word in you. Valuable. And so we see this language, this prayer. In Jonah 2, as we go on, it is nothing short of life versus death. Right? Jonah is battling a life and death battle in this prayer. We seem so disconnected from it, but enter into what's going on here as we read this. Right? He knows what is about to come upon him. And that's why he uses the language that he does. Right? Again, we see these two powerful things. In this prayer, powerful themes, powerful images uh, that we see throughout Scripture. And those are the themes of water and the theme of the Sheol, right? The place of the dead, right? We can look at places throughout Scripture, uh, but one of those places where we see this water theme, and we've talked about this a number of times, but Psalm 63, Psalm 69, rather, uh, I'll just read the the first two verses. Where David says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink deep in the mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Remember how he's using that language as we work through this. Think of the themes of the great flood. The great flood. Water, destructive, destruction, death. It is a judgment. Think of the Red Sea as the, the, the Israelites go through. Yes, it is redemption for them. But for the Israelites and for the Egyptians, it is judgment. It is terror. It is dread. It is death. And they are consumed. Water in Scripture, there's this image of death and chaos and calamity. And by the way, um, remember what it says when the new, the new heavens and the new earth come in, in Revelation, the end of the book of Revelation. What happens to the sea? There's no more. Right? This chaos, this calamity, this death, fear is gone, along with tears and mourning. Right? But the interesting thing here is that Jonah, while he's using verses from the Psalms in his prayer, is that the psalmist was using the water how? He's using this imagery metaphorically. Right? David is speaking metaphorically. But Jonah, he's not using it as a metaphor. It's, his, it's what's happening to him. He's gone down. This is what's happening to him. And now these psalms that he's so familiar with and these words and these patterns, they take on a whole new meaning as Jonah begins to cry out to his father in the midst of this dire situation. That's water. And then think of Sheol, right? This is one of those things. It's uh, Again, it's the grave, the abode of the dead. It's the darkest place of the created order. Uh, it's the re- returnless place of the dead. Right? They, those who are there are barred down in prison where they are what? Remember from last week. The farthest place from God's presence they could possibly be is death. It's the opposite of the glories of life. Nearness before the Lord, with the Lord. It's the opposite of that. 
And the Hebrew conception of life, um, it's interesting to take into consideration, is not merely when life ends, just breathing your last, last breath. That's the way that we usually think of it in our mechanistic, materialistic culture. But right, we think, well, if you're still breathing, then you're living. You're still alive. But the Hebrew, the Israelites, that, that way of thinking was much more a continuum related to the presence of God. And we see this all throughout Scripture. The longing to be in the presence of the Lord, to go back to the temple, to be with God's people. And we see terror, misery, poverty. Those are all steps towards death in the Old Testament. And so Jonah, even before he's physically dead, he realizes, I'm one step closer to death and one step farther away from the presence of God. And he thinks he's entered into that realm of the dead. In verse 2, look, he says, from the belly of Sheol I cried, right? That's where he's going. He knows it's a certainty. Verses 5 and 6, waters closed over my head to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. It mentions the roots of the mountains. What's that? That's the bottom of the sea. Right? They're, they're, they've, 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 they've come up to him. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's at the bottom. And he knows that if God does not intervene to save him, he is what? He's utterly forsaken. And then notice in verse 4. Right? What was his desire last week in chapter 1? It was to get where? Away from God. And he got what he wanted. And he realizes in verse 4, he says, I have been forsaken by God. I've been cast out from your presence, driven away from your sight. He's gone down to the farthest place in the world from God. Right? We noticed this progression or this digression last week. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat, down into the hole of the boat. Now he's at the sea, to the bottom, down. And he says, here I am, the farthest reach, in the farthest reach as possible. I've been cast out from your eyes. Nothing can save me now. And he says, what hope is there? And then verse 4, but I will look again to your holy temple. Right? Oh, there is hope. There is hope. In all of his rebellion, he is at this last moment, and all he can do is look to God's holy temple in hope that God will rescue him. And so Jonah's unfaithfulness has brought him to a place of forsakenness. Right? Then look at the end of verse 6 to 10. We see there's only one solution. Only one solution for those who have been utterly forsaken. I notice he says this in verse 6, the second half. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. His hope is in the Lord. Finally again, God's faithfulness has brought him back from the pit. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, right when it was slipping away, I turned to you, and you heard me. At the end of the day, his hope, his only hope, was in God's faithfulness, in God's mercy to him, God's mercy to Jonah, this prophet, this rebel prophet, even when he was forsaken. The only one who could save him, the only one who could help him, is the only sovereign living God that there is. He was fleeing at all costs 
from the presence of God. Now he's lamenting that absence of God's presence. And he pleads and he longs that he will return. And God brings him back. He brings him back. And then Jonah, what? He tells of the wonderful salvation that he experienced. Again, verses 7 and 8. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. The depth, right? That downward movement that Jonah went through, ending in the pit in the realm of the dead, it ends when Jonah says, you brought up my life from the pit. Then verse 9. In verse 9, he recognizes that he must repent. He knows it so. And so he says, I will pay what I have vowed. He was the mouthpiece of God, the prophet of Yahweh. And he says, forgive me, and I will do what you have commanded me to do. This text is full of repentance. The repentant prophet, the the rebellious prophet becomes the repenting prophet. There are times when we are in most despair, dear Christian, that we most quickly draw close to prayer and we flee with courage and brokenness to our God who we know will save us and who loves us. And we go how? With a broken and contrite heart. And though Jonah knows he will die and he can't rescue himself, He cries out to God and he says, I will do what I have vowed. Forgive me. And on the heels of this repentance, with his faith firmly planted in his covenant Lord, God abruptly answers the situation. And he gives a command to the fish and it vomits Jonah out. Even before this though, he thanks God for his resurrection from the dead. I notice in verse 6, again, you have brought up my life from the pit. What a contrast to his earlier attitude. What a contrast indeed, rebel to repentant. Let's now look at this, uh, this from a personal perspective of Jonah, and then even for us, even for us today. We see the relationship of the father, um, number two in your outline there, the relationship of a father or fatherly relationship. And we see here what is stated elsewhere in scriptures, right? That God does what to those whom he loves? He disciplines them. He disciplines those whom he loves, right? Hebrews 12, 6 to 11 is very clear on this. It may be something you could spend your Lord's Day meditating upon later. We see Jonah yield obedience after God chastises him, after he chastens him. And this is the truth that we need to see and that is emphatic throughout scriptures, Many times when we know that we are wrong and we avoid God, when we, when we realize that, when we're in rebellion or in sin, we avoid God, what, more and more. When we're in those situations, those seasons of life, we don't flee to God, we distance ourselves more and more. We know we're wrong. We avoid God, we avoid church more and more. We, we avoid friends, we avoid prayer, we avoid God's word. I've I've mentioned before, uh, a good friend of mine, my former pastor, he used to say, this book will keep you from sinning, and sinning will keep you from this book. Oh, so true. Oh, so true. But it could likewise be said, right? 
Church will keep you from sinning. Your closeness and your involvement. The saints, right? The body of Christ. Praying will keep you from sinning. And sinning will keep you from the church, from the saints, from prayer. And we see this in Jonah, right? Jonah foolishly tries to run from the father to his own demise. Like the prodigal son, right? In the Gospels. And like the prodigal's father, in loving mercy, flees in love to his son. We see that God is a merciful and loving father. And we need to flee to him. We need to return to him. And he will forgive us. That's his promise to you. Glorious. Wonderful. We need to remember also that he has adopted us. Right? Remember the New Testament reading from Romans 8. He adopted us, and he's called us into gospel fellowship with his son, and he's confirmed it by the sacraments. We need to remember that to right our thinking, to correct our thinking. God has set us apart. You belong to Jesus, dear Christian. He has set you apart. He's marked you out of the world. He's given you the means of grace. And when we're rebelling, when we're down, down, further from his presence, and when we're sinning, Let us be broken. May we be broken, not fleeing from God, but remembering His fatherly love and His care for us. His love for us, and we must humbly return to Him with a contrite and a broken heart. Flee to Him, every one of us. We should recognize God's gracious and fatherly interaction here with Jonah. And draw conclusions that God will and he does deal with those who are his in the same way. It's not just a story there to tell your children. To draw from and glean from what what, what what the Lord has for us there. We should also note that when we find ourselves in the midst of estrangement from God. That we too, like the prodigal son, we should seek out and return to our heavenly father. Because oh, he is waiting to flee to us in love again and again because of his promise to us. So we can't just, again, look at, uh, look at these truths divorced from that big picture that I began with. Talking about that big tick picture, God's, God's story, right? It is God's history. And he's working it out and he's doing something deeper here. And this brings us to the third point in your outline. And that is redemptive history. That is the big picture. The history of redemption, what God is doing in his creation. Jonah is not merely our primary or primarily the prodigal son of the Old Testament. Right? In a sense, he is. There are layers there. That's not where, that's not the only layer in Jonah. Jonah's main purpose is not just about Jonah. And it's not just about us for that matter. Jonah is about issues greater than the need for repentance of wayward sons of God. It's about that, but it's about more than that. Jonah's personal experience, his history, is knitted together with the fabric of God's big picture in the history of redemption, redemptive history. Jonah is explicitly functioning as a type. Right? You all know this, this concept of types. He's a type, an impression, a foreshadowing of whom? The person and work of Jesus Christ. Right? Specifically, his resurrection from the dead. Christ drew on Jonah's entombment as a type. 
when preaching to the Israelites and when answering the Pharisees, Jesus drew on Jonah's entombment in the fish. They demanded a sign, remember, to test the, the authenticity of Christ's preaching and authority. And to that challenge, do you recall how Jesus responded? In Matthew chapter 12, Luke chapter 11, he responded this way. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah, right? Jonah's own mission was what? To preach about the need for repentance. It's what his calling and what he was sent to do. His calling and commission was to preach repentance. It was accompanied by a miraculous sign, deliverance from death through that great fish, the Dagadol, the great fish. And Jesus, too, he told his questioners that he brought a message of repentance and that his own preaching would be accompanied by and signed and sealed by miraculous signs a particular miraculous sign, his own deliverance from the dead. Christ would be entombed in the heart of the earth for three days and nights, but raised to life on the third day. And Christ himself interprets Jonah chapter 2, and he shows where he is in that passage. And he says, Jonah ultimately points to my resurrection. And this is important to understand, Jonah 2. We don't want to look at Jonah's relationship with his heavenly father in the abstraction, right? And to think, oh, it's only or merely about that and how he chastens and disciplines his sons. Those things are there, but much more is going on there. We see that in the text. We see this next, right? Jonah does tell, of, uh, tell us of God's fatherly care. He does. This Jonah does tell us of that and that he forgives and that he loves and, he, and that he rescues those who are forsaken, but why? Why? Why does God care? And if you've got any amount of tenderness in your heart, you ask yourself that often, right? Why me, Lord? Why me? For his good pleasure, because he loves you. But why does Jonah tell us this, right? Uh, we're at number four, right? What, in, in, in answering this question, right, uh, Jonah tells us these things. He gives us reasons for hope, right? Reasons for hope, uh, right? And, and so in answering this, we need to return to the idea of God's plan that we started with. The purpose of God's fatherly care is ultimately driven by his primary desire to glorify himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Right? That's ultimately what Jonah's about. And this is the first reason for the hope in Jonah. The first reason for hope is God's purpose to glorify himself through Christ. And think about it. Jonah's entire life that we know about it here. Rebellion. Right? He attempts to flee from the mission that he's been given. We have this fierce storm. We have this entombment in the fish, in repentance, and then ejection from the fish. It's all ordained by our sovereign Lord to serve a greater purpose. Right? God's big picture. And that is what? Well, we already read it. We're going to read it from Jesus. It's to point to the person and work of Christ. And we can't see this in abstraction uh, from that big picture, right? God's desire to glorify himself in Christ. Jonah's history isn't God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not don't rebel, be obedient. That's how this is usually presented, Jonah. Don't rebel, be obedient. 
as if God is our cosmic genie. Where we're told if we obey, God blesses. End of story. God is not simply there to provide comfort or to grant wishes or to forgive sins. He does do those things. He does forgive sins. He does give comfort. But what do we confess about this God? Is that he ordains whatsoever comes to pass. Right? Whatsoever comes to pass. Why? For the ultimate purpose of the glorification of Jesus Christ. He's not just like a Roman god capriciously playing with his creation. That's the purpose for all of it. To glorify Jesus Christ. So it's not simply that God has a wonderful plan for your life, but rather God has a wonderful plan to glorify himself in Christ in all that he ordains. That's biblical. That's truly wonderful. That's a glorious plan. Is it not? And the question we need to ask ourselves in light of that big picture, in light of that glorious plan, in light of the big picture and Jonah's experience, the question, in what way do I or can I contribute to God's desire to glorify himself in Christ? Many ways that we can answer that. But hopefully the answer underlying it all, whether it's to seek and to serve obediently, our Lord, and to seek his kingdom in all things, right? Matthew teaches us this. It's ultimately, Christ would be glorified. Christ would be glorified. You see, God's desire throughout all of history has been to do that very thing, to bring glory to Jesus. Right? And so I ask, brothers and sisters, is that your desire? Is that your desire to bring glory to Christ your Savior? Is the glory of Christ that thing that drives all that you do Right? Is that the end and the goal that drives and leads your heart in your actions and thinking and movements in life? We need to keep those things in mind regarding our own personal obedience, our own heart's attitudes, our own motivations. Right? That's first. That's first. That God's plan is that all things should be to the glory of Christ. Right? And that should, render, that should render all that you do as purposeful. Right? There is purpose to the things you do if that is the purpose and that is the end. And that gives hope that whatever God brings to pass, he does so because he desires Christ's glory by it. It's nothing less than the hope that comes from the fact that God is sovereign. Right? God is sovereign. And we should see that no matter what, whether in obedience or disobedience, God will advance his plan. God will advance his kingdom. And he will glorify Jesus Christ. Our sins will never get in the way of that desire of our Heavenly Father. And that's not a license to sin, as some people have thought. Because either, will, either God will discipline, or disobedience will suffer at God's wrath. Right? Either way, to the glory of Christ. Philippians 2 says as much. Christ will still be glorified. God will glorify himself either through his mercy demonstrated towards us or even in his wrath demonstrated against those who refuse to believe. There is nothing that gets in the way of God and his plan. May we believe and understand that and deeply believe and deeply understand it and uh, may we grow more and more as a consequence to be horrified by our sins, right? to be horrified by our sins, our casual sins, our cavalier nature towards our sinning. 
This should feed us to be petrified at those things. We are God's children, united to Christ. We are not to be befouling ourselves again, right? By sinning. Our purpose is to glorify Him, right? So the first reason for hope is, is, is God's sovereignty, ultimately, right? God is sovereign. There's hope in that. The second reason is the resurrection of the greater Jonah. The resurrection of the greater Jonah. That second great source of hope from, from uh, the prophet Jonah here is that jo- is Jonah's own entombment points to Christ's entombment and resurrection from the dead, right? You see that. It's, that's the clear, the clear answer there. But, and, Christ's resurrection points to our own resurrection from the dead. And that, dear Christian, is good news. It's the best news. Christ was forsaken so that we could be adopted and rescued, right? We should get hope here. We can say in our, all of our afflictions that we too cried out to the Lord and he answered me. We cried out and he answered us. we should get hope here brothers and sisters in all of our afflictions out of the belly of death we can say he answered me and out of the belly of death I cried to you Lord you heard my voice heard my voice may we never lose hope because we know that on the last day he will indeed eject us out of the ground just as Jonah was ejected out of the great fish look again at Romans 8 22 and 23 For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It has come. It is going to happen. We long for that. We long for the, 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 the resolution of that promise. We wait eagerly for it. And so does God have a wonderful plan? God has a wonderful plan. And it's to glorify Jesus Christ. Right? Are we part of that plan? What part of that plan are we? Right? Do we find ourselves, do, do, do you find your life in Christ in that plan of glory? Turn to Jonah 2 in your suffering, dear Christian. Turn to Jonah 2 in your affliction. Preach the gospel to yourself regularly. Right? A glorious thing. Remind yourself continuously of the glory and mercy and love of Christ and the promise that he's given you to raise you from the dead and eternal life with him in glory. If we suffer and we are afflicted by trials, turn to Jonah. Turn to Jonah. To know that even though death has a grip around us, And we must all pass through that veil to know that even though death has a grip, death does not have the final word. But that Jesus, who was raised on the third day and was ejected, right? Ejected out from the belly of the earth, that the resurrection of Christ was what? A prophetic declaration of our own resurrection. And that we too will be raised from the clutches of death. And for you young people here this morning, and even for all of us, we can know that whenever we are hurting, whenever you are sad or worried, Jonah happened for you. Jonah happened for you. Jonah happened for you to know that your father loves you. 
and that he cares for you and that he will one way, one day bring you to live with him forever. Jonah happens so that you can trust him and turn to him in your hurting and in your worry. Jonah's episode with this fish is a picture of Christ's resurrection and a promise to you of your resurrection. Jonah 2 is a psalm prayer. It is a great source of comfort and hope because it shows us that our Heavenly Father is what? He is loving and He is forgiving and He is merciful. Merciful in that He doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. And far from it, He's provided tremendously for us in the redemption that we have in Christ through His life and death, especially His resurrection. Let us desire all the more, brothers and sisters, to take our redemption to not take for granted our redemption, right? And think that we can flee like Jonah tried to flee. But rather let us desire first to seek Christ in all things. Despair, worry, pain, affliction when we're mistreated. Seek Christ. And let us desire to see him glorified with our lives, even in those things. Amen. Let's pray. Our almighty and loving God, we come again before you. We are awed at your word to us, at your love towards us, at your mercy towards us. We pray, Lord, you would continue to give us minds and hearts that believe and that receive these truths. Father, that Christ's perfection is given to us, that we are sinners and rebels, and that you sought us and saved us. You've secured our sure redemption. Lord, we pray, continue to draw us near. We pray, Lord, that as your word goes out, that you will indeed accomplish your desired <clears throat> results in all things. Father, we pray, may the confession uh, of our mouths match our lives, Lord, in all that we do. May our, our confession indeed be true. And may we be assured of the victory won by Christ for us. We trust in him for our very lives, now and forever. Lord, we pray this morning, even as we partake of uh, the supper, may we revere you and know you, that you are the one who has made us partakers of the kingdom by faith. Father, we pray for this church. We pray particularly for the Pokratsky family. Lord, we join them in praising you for binding them together in covenant marriage. We pray, Lord, strengthen that marriage. Bless them in every way. Protect them physically and spiritually. Lord, we pray for, uh, for your, this covenant child, Evelyn. We pray you would continue to bless her as well. And we pray that you would bless Becky uh, as, as, as you have blessed them and given them another covenant child. Lord, we pray that you would protect uh, mother and child. We pray for our brother Paul Ragwa as well. We pray that you would give him strength, give him a mind that is clear as he continues his studies, lead him in the way that he should go, what you have for him. Lord, we pray for the Runkel family as well. We pray for the Runkel children, that you would strengthen them and protect them in Jesus. Bless and aid Sam and Jenny as they seek to teach and model a life of faith before them and faithfulness before them. Lord, we pray for your people, whatever hardships that we might be going through in this life, that we would again and always see that you our God and King, that you are faithful and gracious and good to us and that you love us with the perfect love and that you are there for us to receive us. Lord, we do pray for this church, Providence, 
Be merciful to us. Provide for our needs. Strengthen each of us spiritually. Strengthen this body. Keep us from growing satisfied or keep us from growing fearful. But strengthen us to, uh, and conform us evermore to the image of our King, your Son. Use us, we pray, in our lives and our lips to grow and to show the love and grace that we've been shown and to invite people to come and to hear of your mercy and holiness and to hear the gospel and be confronted with Jesus, the only hope for life in this world or the next. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that we can come boldly before you by virtue of Jesus. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, that same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.